I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Wimbledon quarterfinals catch-up. Ash Barty sets up a semi-final clash with Kerber. Her cash stuns Federer with a bagel. And Joe Salisbury upsets Cabal and Farah with Rajiv Ram to make the double semi-finals. Kim... Our semi-finals are set for the men and women in the singles at Wimbledon. It's been another enthralling day of action. Contrasting fortunes for two of the big three uh, in the men's singles with Djokovic and Federer. Uh, we are recording slightly later than usual because for I imagine for many British British listeners, including ourselves, there was the slight issue of a football match uh, in the European Championship semi-finals and... You know, as as England fans, Kim, I feel like we can say it just now. It it might be coming home. Is do you think that's? Are we allowed to say that? Is that is that okay? Quite possibly could be coming home, but with our <laughs> predictions, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, yeah, I'm glad that England got through. I was hoping Spain would also make it, but it was not to be for them. Um, but yeah, England in the, in the final. How often does that happen? basically never so um but yeah I mean this isn't the, the football uh passing shot is it so or, <laughs> I don't know what a football related uh terminology would be but um let, let's talk tennis because I think that's what most of our listeners are here for <laughs> um and we obviously had the men's quarterfinals today ladies quarterfinals yesterday I suppose we've got to start with that Roger Federer match because um probably the the most shocking result I guess today I mean for me it's not a surprise that he lost I think the manner of the defeat is what has surprised me the most it was straight sets for Hubert Hercage 6-3-7-6 love in the last set uh, which has brought out all of the stats relating to Federer and the last time he's he was bageled Um, in fact he's only been bageled I think a, a handful of times in his whole career you know, since kind of coming onto the tour and he last got bageled in 2008 when a certain Spaniard beat him in the French Open final. So uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. As a Rafa <laughs> fan, I knew you, I was waiting. I was waiting for you to bring that up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a uh, it was not a very pretty performance, was it, from Roger Federer? You know, for, in, in, from my perspective, it was quite it was quite sad to see someone, you know, who is, a, you know, a bona fide legend of the game, one of the greatest grass court players on of all time you know get get bageled by you know a player who on his day was you know was better than him he was quite comfortably a lot better than him but at the same time it was still you know very surprising I mean Hubert Hercash was on a six match losing streak going into Wimbledon hadn't been past the third round I think of a grand slam this was not I think the you know the the expectation I think what we were you know thinking of 
of of when you know this matchup um you know was set but you know here we are and you know we've we've been speaking i think you know over the last you know, a few days about Roger Federer and his movement because of his, you know, his knees and, you know, the injuries that he has had and the lack of tennis that he has had, um, you know, over the last significant period of time. And, you know, maybe kind of caught up with him here. And it, it was just a bit sad to see in terms of just being completely dominated on the court. And as, as I said, particularly with his kind of balance and his movement, it just wasn't like the Roger Federer of of old and as sort of a little bit like Andy Murray it feels like this was a match we will look back on as a moment where time caught up on one of one of the greatest of the game yeah we have to remember he you know although he reached the final here two years ago since then he has had a couple of knee surgeries and you know he's a bit older as well so I think the fact that he was able to get through to the quarterfinals is actually pretty decent considering you know he was obviously very fragile in his first match, you know, he was very lucky that his opponent retired before they even started the, the fifth set. So, you know, he could very well have gone out much earlier. And, um, you know, he obviously just doesn't want to play Berrettini, does he, Joel? Because he pulled out, you know, at that fourth round stage at the French Open prior to playing <laughs> Berrettini. And, and here he's gone and lost, uh, in, you know, prior to having to play Berrettini. So maybe he's just really scared of Matteo Berrettini. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, he wasn't really at the races today, made a lot of uncharacteristic errors and Herkash played very very well um you know there was a period of time where you thought that Federer was getting it kind of back under his control you know he went a break Stopped up in the, the second, second set. set yeah exactly but you know Herkash broke back it went to a tie break Federer just so many errors that really he shouldn't have been making in that tie break and once it you know Herkash went two sets up it did seem, I think, unlikely. I think Federer would perhaps have enough in his arsenal to um, to stage a comeback. We've seen him do it here before. You know, Marin Cilic, I think most notably, he he came back from two sets down against. Um, but Herkaj, yeah, really at the races today, and I mean, he just steamrolled his way through that third set. It was um, very, very impressive. You know, you thought he might get a bit nervous, perhaps, at what he was achieving and doing, but no. Um, really quality performance yeah and particularly given that he's had to play you know three three days in a row because Herkaj Medvedev got got carried over to the Tuesday or yesterday they came out finished it Herkaj won and he, you know he's come out today very fresh and he's just put on a very 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 impressive performance you know we've spoken about you know one of his the reasons he's done so well this week has been um, you know, his serving. And again, Federer just found it very, very difficult to break her cash's serve um, and and really kind of just manufacturing and get to get to break point. Um, you know, he only had four break point opportunities and her cash saved three of them. You know, other other glaring stats. I mean, the, the unforced error count, as you said, Roger Federer, he hit 31 unforced errors to 30 winners, whereas Herkash hit 25 winners to 12 unforced errors. So it was a performance that, you know, I thought I thought actually we were sort of over. You know, I think, you know, looking at that Cam Norrie performance, I thought that was very, very impressive. And I thought kind of Federer had sort of steadied the ship. But this for me was a performance that reminded me of, you know, that, that first round match against Manorino. And he sort of kind of spluttered, I think, through to, through to the fourth round and... You know, at times maybe he's kind of flattered to to deceive, but 
when he came up against a quality opponent in Herkaj, he didn't he didn't really have you know an answer for him, and you know he'll be obviously very disappointed. You know he would have had big hopes to you know win his ninth Wimbledon title, you know going into it, but you know the reality is that you know he's he's turning he's turning forty very soon, and when you're playing an elite le- an elite level of you know you're at the elite level of of the sport, you know we, we're sort of getting to a point now it's logically speaking a 40 year old should not be making the semi-finals of Wimbledon and you know the the younger opponent really was just able to sort of live with Roger Federer and almost have him on a string dare, dare I say it yeah I think it's sort of almost nigh on impossible that Federer will ever win Wimbledon again because I think in a tournament you know he's bound to come up against someone like a Herkash, much younger, fresher, fitter, who is just going to put together a performance to knock him out. And that's not to say I don't think we're not going to see him back next year. Like there's been a bit of debate and speculation Like he was asked about that in his post-match press conference. And, you know, I'm hope- hoping for fans' sake that he he is back. But I, you know, don't think one could expect too much. You know, he was trying to become the oldest man to reach the Wimbledon semifinals in the Open era today. Obviously, wasn't able to achieve it. Um, I think he could probably have a decent enough run to say fourth round or something again, but whether he, that is that enough for him? You know, I think he really wanted to be in it to win it. And if he's not going to be getting there, there comes a time and a place where, you know, he might think, is it worth it? Um, You know, I mean, fair play to him. This was his first straight set loss at Wimbledon in 19 years. That just shows how dominant he has been that he's you know he no one's been able to knock him out in straight sets since Anchich in 2002 which incidentally when Herkash was only five years old so like <laughs> I you said he's doing remarkable things at, at, mm. at his age is, is Federer I mean to get to the get to the quarterfinals was a very you know very very impressive effort but yeah I do wonder particularly with his his movement it just feels a bit and his footwork it just doesn't feel like he's set and and ready to you know make you know what are quite you know what i see on tv is quite you know makeable and and steady sort of ground strokes it doesn't seem like he's in the right position and that, and maybe that's why he's making more unforced errors than he'd like to particularly i think on just kind of regulation sort of rally shots i mean in terms of the breakdown particularly his forehand today was just not just not at the races and you know may, maybe there was a factor with regards to the court you know we've seen this year that Movement has been an issue, particularly on you know the centre and number one courts in terms of foot like footing, and we've seen people slipping. So I don't know if there that was sort of you know playing on his mind or he was kind of aware of it. And again, it wasn't sort of helping him kind of set up when he was kind of getting into the rallies. But yeah, it does it does sort of leave uh, I think you know a sad it leaves a sad uh, you know sad figure I think in terms of you know, Federer walking off centre. You know, one of his, you know, his home, his territory, and for Herkash to come in and just, you know, it's like an away, it's it's an away fixture for him, right? You know, Federer on centre court with a hundred percent capacity, it's a home fixture, and for Herkash to come in, win three sets to zero, straight sets, it could be a very, a very disappointing moment if you know, if if you kind of think and and sort of reflect on it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we should congratulate Herkash, obviously, because he, you know, is into this stage of a slam for the first time. And it is very sad for Federer and his fans, but Herkash had never been beyond the third round. Yeah. Um, 
I was, it was going to happen at some point, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly got the game for it. We saw that, you know, he won the Miami Masters earlier this this season. So, and then sort of had a bit of a, a dull patch, wasn't really, you know, performing very well. And, you know, I don't think his clay season was anything to write home about. But, yeah, he's performing now and he's got Berrettini in the semi-final, who, you know, has been in a semi-final of a slam before, you know, reached the US Open semis in 2019. But this is only his second major semi um you know he's a f- bit more mature now a few years on got more experience on the tour obviously won queens he's on a uh 10 match win streak um i would say and you know he's dropped a few sets coming through the tournament but today he did enough to get over the line against felix oj aliasim uh 6-3, 5-7, 7-5, 6-3. really i think you know the pivotal bit of this match was a kind of five all in that third set Berrettini held, got the break, and then in the fourth set went an early break up, and it was kind of a bit of a formality after that point. Um, so, you know, was able to to step it up and uh, to come through that and, and not let it, not let Felix get back into it, not not let it go into a fifth. Um, it was a tight tight clash. I mean, they know each other so well; they're really good mates. I think they watched the football together the <laughs> night before. So it was, it was, you know, it was nice that they kind of were facing each other. Um, oh on man, this occasion. I, I imagine Berrettini watching the the Italian football. I imagine mm. he is very, very passionate guy. Uh, you know, as all, all Italians are probably watching it. Um, but yeah, it was a very, you know, again, I think Felix Auger Aliassime did well. I think to live with Berrettini, particularly, I think in the, you know, the first two sets. Um, you know, it was, it was one, you know, one set a piece. And I thought Barrett, I thought Oje Aliasim was actually doing quite well to handle that massive Berrettini first serve. Um, you know, I think more often than not, this, this tournament, when Berrettini has got the, his first serve in, he's won the point. I think he was sort of averaging around sort of 80% coming into this match. But, you know, against Oje Aliasim in the, you know, the first couple of sets, I thought Oje Aliasim was just doing really well to just get the, the ball back in play. And get Berrettini into, uh, you know, get Berrettini into a rally. And from there on, it was, you know, I think Berrettini sort of upped his level and maybe Oje Aliasim, it got a bit, got a bit tight, perhaps, you know, a 7-5 in that third set. It was, it was, it really did sort of, I think, kind of pivot on that, which was quite, uh, you know, quite decisive. But I mean, for Berrettini to reach his second semi final, I think, you know, he's won 22 of 24 matches on a, on a grass court this season has been, he's done, I think what we have sort of expected as fans <laughs> for him to do, having seen him go and win Queens at a canter really to get to the semi-finals. I think now he's got a big, big opportunity um, against her where I, I can't see a lot of extended rallies, <laughs> um, but I could see, I can see, you know, one of those players has a got a really big opportunity to make their first ever grand Slam final. Yeah, absolutely. A maiden final, likely going to be against Djokovic. Uh, <laughs> but it's quite close. I mean, this is, I think, the semi that is obviously going to be the harder one to pick. Um, you wonder if Berrettini's slight experience at this level will um, give him the edge. You know, he has been at this stage of a slam before. But, you know, Herkash has beaten Medvedev and Federer so that's got to count for something. And yes, he, he was probably helped a lot by Federer and his errors today, but he just, he seemed very composed, very calm today, Herkash. So I think he's got the maturity and kind of level-headedness to, to come through Berrettini. It's just, yeah, like you said, if the Berrettini serve is, is on form, 
it's going to be very, very tricky. So it kind of comes down to that, I think, at the end of the day, perhaps. Definitely. And I mean, looking at the other half, we had two matches. We had Denis Shapovalov versus Karen Kachinov and then Novak Djokovic as well um, versus Marton Fucevic. Let's talk about Shapovalov versus Kachinov because this was a match that went five sets. Um, I think Kachinov sort of ran out of steam, I think, you know, particularly towards the latter stages of the match. Shapovalov won from two sets to one down, 6-4, First semi-final appearance at a Grand Slam. He's gone further than his, well, his, his Canadian sort of rival, I guess, Felix Auger-Aliassime. He's gone one step further. And I think what's been impressive about this is Shapovalov gutting out these five set victories and again being in in tricky 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 moments you know in this match he was two sets to one down but playing really really positive stuff because I think you know a few few seasons ago um if it was a Shapovalov of old I think he just would have sort of folded um but I don't know I think I feel like his mindset's a bit different and because he's got such a variety you know such variety in his game he can have different plans for different moments and um, it was really impressive to see him come back and win sets four and sets five yeah I mean he's really matured I think of late and seeing that you know the fact that he's also learned from his his earlier experiences he he did get to the quarters at the US Open last year um, but but lost that one to, to PCB and I think you know he was saying in that match he um, started the last set quite quite slow and he he knew that for this match he just had to kind of go for it and which he did you know he had to sort of play every single point as as hard as he could as as he phrased it so um it's obviously that shows that he's he's learning already from his you know early experiences as a you know young player still um i think you know, I mean, I did see him play a terrible game in, in the first set where he threw in three double faults. But he, you know, even with a game like that, you'd think for your opponent, OK, that's an ideal opportunity to break. But Shapovalov was able to hold on. And, you know, perhaps, you know, a year or two ago, he, yeah, like you said, he he wouldn't have managed to do that. So even when he does have a a moment of, of uh, you know, slightly, uh, you know, not madness, but, you know, he's able to rein that in and, and come through and... Yeah, he's in, he's in, I think he sounds positive as well. You know, he's got Novak in the next round, but you know, he, he has, I think, some confidence going into that. He, he's, he, he's going to obviously fight as hard as he can. Yeah, I definitely think he's got the, he's got the belief, I think, in him that he can, uh, you know, I think now he's got the belief in him that he can beat one of the big three. I think he does. I think he's slowly sort of realising that, you know, he he belongs at this level. And, you know, that win against Bautista Agut in straight sets, who is a Wimbledon semi-finalist, I think that that is what gave him the belief in terms of, you know, how you know authoritative that, that victory was, coupled with that win against Andy Murray as well. And again, it's it's something that I feel we've seen in the past with Shapovalov. We've seen him come up against, you know, top, top players like, you know, like Nadal, like Djokovic and put on a really, really good show, really, really good performance. But it's, it's you know, it's you've always sort of felt, yeah, he's he's he can do a few flash shots, but it's normally going to end in a, you know, a loss for him. But at the moment, it feels like he really thinks that he can, um, you know, he can go on and, and, and take, you know, and take these guys out. So I definitely think he's still, you know, one to watch. Uh, yeah, he's definitely, I think, a, 
he's got a yeah, he's a definitely a future slam winner whether you know at the moment at, at 22 22 years old just turned 22 years old maybe whether it's a bit maybe it's a bit too early for him um but to be into the semi-finals is a you know a very 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 good showing and i think he made the most of you know karen Kachinov being maybe potentially a little bit knackered from his uh you know match in the previous round which also went five sets um but not not as many breaks of serve, Kim. It was a uh, it was pretty tight up until the the end point. There were no it was no such sort of thirteen breaks of serve, was it? Were there? No, they're they're a bit more tight on serve this match. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean Chapovalov is actually the youngest player to reach the semis since a certain Andy Murray in two thousand and nine. So, like you said, um, definitely, I think a future Slam champion. But um, to be getting to the semis at twenty two on the men's tour at the moment is is pretty cool. So, and great for Canada as well. And it's another reason I think Andy Murray shouldn't be, I think, so downhearted and, and disappointed about that loss to to Shapovalov because he's gone he's gone through to the you know he's gone through to the semifinals and he, he could, who knows he could be you know, in the final as well on Sunday. So, you know, all, although I think at the time, Andy was maybe a little bit downhearted in the in the way he performed and, and how it sort of, pe- you know, petered out in a similar fashion to, you know, Federer against Herkaj. You know, you, you look at, I think with reflection and seeing, you know, the level that Shapovalov has brought to Wimbledon this week and where it has taken him in terms of this, you know, reaching his first semi-final, I think, you know, he's he's got, I think he's got a lot, I think, to be, you know, a lot more, I think, now to sort of be optimistic about. For sure. And I mean, he has Novak in the semifinals on Friday, who recorded his 100th grass court win of his career by uh, dominating Marton Fuchskovic. Um I think he was five love up very quickly. And that was a bit worrying for his opponent, I think. <laughs> it was like, five, you know, it was five love up within, you know, in 21 minutes. I don't know if, um, you know, Fuchskovic was suffering from nerves you know he took out you know Rublev in quite a long you know quite a long match so I don't know if that had an effect on him it got a little bit more interesting I think in kind of sets two and set three but it sort of just meandered towards a you know a straight sets victory for Novak Djokovic I mean yes Fucevic took him to two hours and, and 17 minutes um, but again it was just another performance from Djokovic that was very very impressive and I mean this season, he's now 32 of 35 matches he has won. Um, he's won the first two majors of the year, the Australian Open and the French Open. You know, there's it's 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 still very much on course, isn't it, for uh, potentially for a Golden Slam. And the fact that, you know, Federer's gone out. Yes, Berrettini is in there. And arguably, he's probably playing the, the best tennis, um, you know, of, of everyone else who's sort of left but you know he's got such a big serve yeah we've seen Djokovic returning um you know you just feel like it's it's Djokovic's to lose and I mean this is all because he played the doubles in Mallorca isn't it with uh (laughs) who was that guy Carlos Gomez and the wolf energy as well the Wolf, oh, and the Wolf Energy and the Mallorca, <laughs> the Mallorca doubles, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's carrying on as he has pretty much all year, uh, barely losing a match and looking very comfortable. So um, perhaps not the most interesting person to have followed throughout the tournament, it's fair to say, because it's uh, pretty predictable. But, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. He's also, um, I think, never lost to Shapovalov. So Shapovalov's got a 6-0 and head-to-head record to 
try and overturn on Friday. <laughs> not not to say it's impossible. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, it's sport, anything can happen. But um, I would say it's sort of 90% uh, Djokovic is going to win that one. Um, so let's make some predictions, Joe. I th- assume we're both going for Djokovic. But who are you going to pick out of Berrettini and Herkaj? Um, good question. I've got also on Djokovic. I, I, I think Djokovic in four. I think Shapovalov takes a set. But I think Djokovic will just raise his level um, and come through. So I don't think necessarily thing is going to be straight sets. I think I think Djokovic will get it done in four. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of Herkaj versus Berrettini, I'm going to go with. Uh, I've got to go with Berrettini. I've got to go with the player who's shown more form over a longer period of time, um, and Berrettini with as I said, with the form that he's and the confidence that he's playing with. Um, I think he's going to, he's going to, f- and, and I think he's going to follow Italy into, <laughs> into the final. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe in four sets as well. Um, I just think Herkaj played a very, very good level against Federer. And I think he will probably need to go a little bit higher. And I think his, his return of serve is really going to be tested if he wants to, you know, disrupt. I think the the Berrettini kind of game plan, and you know, I'm not not sure if he's he's got that in him at the moment. So I'm I'm expecting potentially Berrettini to come through in four. Yeah, I think Berrettini in four is a a solid prediction. Uh, I think Berrettini as well in three or four, um, possibly five. But yeah, I, I feel like Herkash would be unlikely. I think Novak against Berrettini would probably be perhaps a slightly more interesting final. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a long way off. <laughs> um, let's just touch upon the doubles, actually, Joel, before we go to a break. And a very exciting. Joe Salisbury is into the semifinals of the men's doubles because uh, him and Rajiv Ram beat Cabal and Farah, who are the defending champions. So that was, stri- that was straight sets, which is very uh, impressive. And they've got uh, Mexic and Pavic next. So if they manage to beat them, that would be even more impressive. Um, I have to say <laughs> and he could uh, potentially you know be doing very well in the mix as well because he's into the quarterfinals um, of the mix with Harriet Dart and his his partner from Roland Garros uh, Desiree Gorzik who's playing with Neil Skopsky this tournament uh, well them two are also into the quarterfinals um, as are Naomi Brody and uh, Jeremy Shardy so quite a few Brits going strong in the mix so we could have we could potentially have a few titles going on for the Brits here very, very exciting. And also, we had a big upset in the ladies' doubles. The number one seed, Sinyakova and Krachichkova, lost to uh, Vezhnina and Kudometova 9-7 in the final set. So, big upset there. Um, be interested to see if they go on. Unseeded pair, making their way through. Well, Vezhnina is a, a dab hand at doubles. I think that is know, very true. doubles, number one, one multiple double slams but yeah I did I did think that you know Krachichkova Sinyakova might be on to do the double again but uh it's not to be um but let's take a quick break now um but we'll be back in the second half looking back on all of the women's quarterfinal results including Ash Barty making her way into the semi-finals at Wimbledon for the first time so do not go anywhere This episode of The Passing Shot is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming to ensure you can always have new balls, please. And just in time for the grass court season, Manscaped have launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the appropriately titled Lawnmower 4.0. 
Over lockdown, tending to my nether regions has become an important routine, including the all-important issue of ball trimming. I love the lawnmower's smooth, comfortable grooming experience that gives me next-level attention to detail. And it makes an excellent gift for a male partner, friend or family member who maybe has a bit too much ball fuzz down there. So the lawnmower 4.0 will serve up a right treat. Use Manscaped now with our exclusive code PSPOD20 to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. That's PSPOD20. Links in the description. Your balls will thank you. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking at the ladies' quarterfinals from Tuesday. Uh, Now, Joel... Slightly different matches uh, from the men's, I think it's fair to say. We've had uh, four straight sets uh, quarterfinals, also very different to the Roland Garros ones, which were quite exciting and, and, you know, very much went the distance in some cases. Um, But I think, you know, before we get into it, we've got to look at, at who we've got now in the last four and the fact that, you know, this year we've had uh, 12 different semi-finalists in the ladies singles at Grand Slams and uh, I think that also happened in 2019 so the, the trend is continuing um, the women's tournament is is extremely wide open from one tournament to the next it completely changes uh, but this time round we very much kind of got some old school names in there haven't we versus like complete newbies yeah I mean exactly we've it's been very I mean one slam has changed everything one court surface has changed everything because at the French Open, our semi-finalists were Barbora Krachichkova, Maria Sakkari, Zidanezek and Pavlyuchenkova, names that none of us were probably expecting uh, to be there or thereabouts in the, the semi-finals and, and finals in the latter stages of Roland Garros. But it's a completely different story on the grass. And I think we've had, you know, we've had players get to this point who are, who are fairly, you know, are very well-established names. We've got Grand Slam champions, We've got players who've been here before. We've got players who know their way around a grass court. And, you know, I think with a lot of the the cases, I think this is this has been a tournament very much about rediscovering, uh, you know, rediscovering form and, and rediscovering that grass court, that grass court feeling. Um, you know, we've got Ash Barty, Angelique Kerber, Arena Sabalenka and Karolina Pliskova. And I would say with particularly with those last three, Kerber, Sabalenka and, and Pliskova, I feel like these are three players we've had perennial questions over with regards to their form at Grand Slams for different reasons, um, you know, over the last couple of seasons, you know, Kerber's not quite been the same. And, you know, since, since winning in, you know, Wimbledon in 2018, Sabalenka, can she handle the pressure and, and break through after being the second seed? And just Carolina Pliskova in general, who's had a, you know, pretty much a, a not very good season. She's just sort of, righted that in in the space of two weeks so it feels very much like we've got some house you know very much it's been a a household set of names in the semi-finals and each of them I think have all kind of come in and and answered questions that have been sort of lurking about them over the last well over the last few seasons really yeah they've all got their own tale to tell and I think that makes it quite nice because they've all kind of coming in you know, their own personal kind of specific story. And we've got, you know, three former world number ones, um, well, and, and the current world number one, of course. And then Sabalenka, who perhaps is is on her way to becoming the number one, you know, in the not too distant future. So um, all of them on their given day have uh, proven that they can, you know, defeat the best in the world. They've all had massive wins. And, you know, we've got two slam champions in there, like you said. And, 
Ishkova has been to a slam final before. You know, this is the furthest she's ever gone at Wimbledon, but she has now reached semi-finals on all four slams. So kind of, you know, she is a very consistent player. She has been a very consistent player over the last few years. She's been in the top 10 and has only just fallen outside of it. So, um, you know, perhaps she's on the start of of getting back up to that consistency that we kind of came to expect from her. She has got Sasha buy-in uh, with her since the start of, I think, this season. So perhaps that partnership's finally coming to some fruition as well. It is bearing fruit, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's start and look back at the the individual quarters, shall we, Joel? Um, perhaps let's start with Pliskova because she was uh, first out against Victoria Golubic and Pliskova played fantastic tennis, I have to say. She was extremely dominant on serve, didn't lose her serve at all um, in, in the match. And, you know, after kind of two all in the first set, she she won, I think, seven games on the trot and, and really cemented her kind of status in the match. And I think from there on, you, you thought it was probably unlikely that Golubic is going to suddenly pull pull off um, an upset from, from that point. Yeah, definitely. I think what's been the, you know, the key shot, I think, for Pliskova um, up to this point has been her serve. She's, I think she leads the ace count um, and she, yeah, her first serve is just enabling her, I think, to just start the point very, very well. And she's backing up with her, you know, typically aggressive kind of ground strokes. She's the only player not to have dropped a set as well, um, going into the semifinals across both the men and women's draws. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, each of these players has their own story to tell. And, you know, with this victory, which was a bit of a formality, I thought actually it might have been a bit more competitive given the number of match wins that, that Golubic has had over the season. But because it was such a formality and the fact that we do have Pliskova in the semi-finals, you really feel like this this tournament, yes, this is kind of almost rewriting, I think, her, you know, her season, which has been very, very, very up and down, you know, up to this point. I think, you know, at Slam's, what she didn't get I think she only reached what the second and third rounds I think at the Australian Open and the French Open but I think broader context this is this is a this really is a tournament that could potentially rewrite I think her you know her legacy in tennis because we speak about Carolina Pliskova as one of these players a bit like Dinara Safina I think in terms of you know for it has been a world number one but has never won a Grand Slam. And as a result of that, you know, there are people out there who would say that she's, you know, one of the worst world number ones, um, you know, in, in recent, in recent history, which I think is a bit, is a bit unfair to be honest, but that's the sort of situation we're in. And I think she will look at this opportunity as a, as a time that she can really, she can rewrite that. Um, You know, if she can win this slam and let's be honest, I don't think she's going to get a very, a better chance to do so you know, on a surface that she's playing very well on with that big serve, it's an opportunity, I think, to really change the conversation about Karolina Pliskova going forward. Yeah, I mean, her game is so well suited to grass. You know, she's won Eastbourne a couple of times, I think Birmingham as well. So we know she's got form on grass and it, it is really nice to see it happened for a player finally, you know, at a slam. And it's been a long time since we've seen her doing anything at any tournament, let alone a slam or not. And I think it's interesting because she was asked, you know, about what is perhaps more meaningful for her, whether she would rather have that consistency and be in the top 10 for so many years or just be someone that wins like one slam and never does anything else and doesn't really win many other tournaments at all on the tour. You know, it's kind of from one extreme to the other. And I think, you know, 
there, there is an argument to be said that would you, would you rather have had Pliskova's career or something like a, a Yelena Ostapenko, um, assuming that Ostapenko would never win another slam? Like, what would you rather have? Um, and it, I guess that's an age old argument, <laughs> but um, I don't think we should underestimate Pliskova's achievements. I do think phrases like, oh, the worst number one ever is, is very harsh. And I hopefully she will prove that wrong and she will. I do what uh, what I call a you know a Wozniacki and kind of finally get a slam and uh, prove you know the the sort of the the pundits wrong. <laughs> I mean, she has got a game that is very well suited to grass and and all the surfaces. I mean, it's it's been impressive the fact that I think she's racking up these sort of rewards. These sorry these these records that that we're not really we don't really kind of talk about in the you know the highest echelons uh we always sort of i think clamber towards oh but how many you know grand slam victories you have but you know she's now one of just six active players to complete a set of grand slam semi-finals so she joins a list including serena williams venus williams kim kleiss simona halep and victoria azarenko so she's in very very good company there and again it's i feel like she's she's racking up these sorts of achievements that are all sort of simmering under the surface and now it's really about i need she needs that big achievement because yes i i I get the point around you know her consistency and that's you know that's absolutely fantastic but you know in this era you know unfortunately i think you know it's the it's the way i think you know everyone is sort of set up i think you do get judged your measuring stick is judged by how many grand slams you win and you know we've seen We've seen, I think, tennis from Pliskova, not necessarily, you know, all the way through two weeks at Grand Slam, or maybe we've seen it on the WTA tour that has made us think, yes, she could be, a, you know, a Grand Slam champion. And I think what's surprising is we've not, I don't think we've necessarily seen that in, in 2021, but it's just sort of you know, clicked at this moment. And maybe, you know, working with Bajin is now, you know, maybe there's been a slight delay in terms of, uh, you know, having having that effect on her game but yeah it's really coming to the fore right now yeah and um like we've just had basically discounted her hadn't we when we were previewing mm. the tournament and and I think <laughs> rightly so I don't I don't think anyone had forecast it and she looks really focused you know in her last match she she was very calm she was very focused and I know you know okay she was playing golly bitch I don't think she's had to play you know, anyone particularly like massively highly ranked, which is fair enough. So Sabalenka will obviously be a massive step up, but you know, Sabalenka will be in her very first Grand Slam semi-final. You've got to think that nerves may come into her game. And we know that when she kind of goes off the ball a bit, um, her game can, you know, she's so aggressive, it can completely kind of go hit and miss. And perhaps Pliskova can be a bit more consistent um, and use her experience to, to ensure that she comes across the line. But I mean, let's look back at Sabalenka's quarterfinal because we you know we were talking before about her match of Anjibor, we you know what's going to win. Is it going to be, you know, the power of Sabalenka or, you know, the kind of skill and craft of Anjibor? And, um, you know, unfortunately for Anjibor and her fans, it was very much the power that um, came through and, and Sabalenka was able to, to be very aggressive Um you know, from the word go, really, and uh, come through it in, in straight sets, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, Particularly on your ball's uh, second serve, which I think Sabalenka just ate, ate up. But yeah, it was a very impressive, again, another impressive victory. It was interesting to hear, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was going to be 
uh, a surprise to anyone that Sabalenka was going to go out and be, you know, really aggressive. That you know, that's just the way that she plays. But I think what was impressive about this one was that, that she, you know, she took I think a, like a conscious decision to just kind of go for it, and she was just like. I think she was kind of almost kind of maybe fearful of, of getting into kind of longer extended rallies with, with Jabor so that she could, you know, bring out all of her kind of tricks of the trade, you know, whether that was, you know, drop shots or, or lobs or moving around her around the court with a forehand slice, you know, putting angles on the ball, etc. And I think maybe Sabalenka was a bit kind of fearful, fearful of that and why she wanted to keep the, the points short. And again, you know, another player who's been serving very very well this week and I think what really helped was the fact that she was able to just be in a really good court position after you know putting a big serve in and moving your ball about so that she wasn't able to kind of insert her own uh you know variety onto the points because I certainly think that again with with how the match unfolded I just don't think that your ball was really given a chance to show the variety that she she offers and you know all credit I think to Sabalenka for just just stopping that in its tracks and you know getting getting through what has been a you know a very very good couple of weeks for your board taking out you know taking out Muguruza um and taking out um uh taking out who's yeah. on tech exactly in in the last round so again sabalenka was did very well i think to kind of forget all forget all of that and just you know play her game because she has been you know she has been under pressure i think you know she hasn't handled that pressure well in in past grand slams we saw that at the french open she got bageled by pavlichenkova on her on her way out in the third set so to come here handle the pressure get through to the semi-finals for the first time I think she will be very, very happy with that. Absolutely. And again, she was very focused and, and composed and disciplined in that match against Shabor. Um And actually, do we do forget that she has won uh, Grand Slams before in the women's doubles with Elise Mertens. And they made a conscious decision not to play together at Slams, I think, so that they could, well, so that certainly Sabalenka could focus more on her singles. And perhaps finally, that's, that's helping as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, watching... Sabalenka against Bolter, you know, earlier on, um, you know, in, in week one, it was definitely kind of clear to see her, you know, her singles play be, reaping the rewards of all that doubles action she has, uh, you know, under her belt with Mertens, particularly at the net. Um, I think her net games improved, and you know, I think you know, around about, um, you know, she she played Jabor, I think in a year, I think it was a year was it a year ago, I can't remember, but the match they played before this slam uh, she lost she lost and I think she's just become a better player to be honest um you know over the last you know the over the last you know last year or so and I think doubles has, has certainly helped her in that respect yeah absolutely and and you know her and Pliskova very similar in the sense that they're both going to be uh serve and forehand focused I think it will be they'll be wanting to um to make sure the points they will absolutely... be short I, I feel like the points are yeah. going to be quite short um it could be I mean, it, it there's a, again, there's going to be a lot riding on this on this semi final, and I just think it could be a very. I'm I'm almost came expecting to see a very high winners count, but I'm also expected to see a very high unforced errors count. It could go disastrously wrong for either one of them <laughs> or both. I mean, we might see the, a semi final with you know a horrendous tally of unforced errors, <laughs> or we could see the complete opposite. I mean, honestly, it's um, I'm quite looking forward to it. We'll get on to predictions 
in a bit. But let's discuss the other side of the draw because we've got the world number one, Ash Barty, against former world number one and former Wimbledon champion, Angie Kerber. I mean, let's just look at Barty, first of all. She had probably the most straightforward match um, against Ilya Tomjanovic. Needed just over an hour to get through 6-1, 6-3. I think Tomjanovic, you know, won the first game and held her serve and then lost, uh, you know, seven games or or something like that, you know. Um, And it was very much one-way traffic uh, for a long time. I mean, interestingly, though, I don't think Barty was actually at her best today, um, or yesterday rather. Tomjanovic really could have, I think, played better of course but certainly made made a bit more of, of Barty I mean her first serve percentage at one point was like 25% which normally if you're going to be playing with a statistic like that you would expect your opponent to to reap more than yeah. one game in a set <laughs> <laughs> yeah you would definitely be I mean that's very impressive for Bash Barty to be serving such low numbers I think in terms of first serves and come out uh, with a 6-1 scoreline in the first set yeah it was very very impressive I just think yeah, Tom Janovic, she just, you know, as as much as I think the variety of your board didn't really work against Sabalenka, I felt like this was sort of the opposite. And Barty's variety was just a bit too much for Tom Janovic. There was just a bit too much going on for her to kind of get a grasp on. And Tom Janovic, I just don't think, I mean, we, we, we don't really associate her style of play with producing lots and lots of winners. Um, you know, in the, in the match against Raducanu, you know, up to the point of the um, the retirement, there was there were very few winners from both players. In fact, in that match, but again, in this match, Tom Janovic hit very very few uh, winners. I think she only hit one winner through to uh, you know trailing six one four one in in the second set. And if you're not going to hit winners, you're sort of relying on Ash Barty, I think, to hit unforced errors. And the way Ash Barty has been playing, yes, she had that little blip against Suarez Navarro when she lost that second set tiebreak, but she's just looked very, very good. And although, again, I think she's been one of these players who's not necessarily played the most higher, you know, the higher ranked players, um, she's just come through it very, very efficiently. And I've been impressed not only by her um, her serving, maybe apart from that that first set she was managed to bring it up in the second set but certainly i think the unforced error count she's been able to keep uh, down and really asking the questions of her opponent yeah exactly i mean i think you know she's she has come through the draw without much fuss or, mm. or fanfare to be honest and i think it's easy to therefore underestimate her but you know she's she's done kind of a bit of a novak djokovic i suppose and come through very straightforwardly and you know she has got such variety mm. and I mean, she is living up to the world, the world number one ranking yeah. again. Mm. Um, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't be a, su- you know, it shouldn't be a surprise now. And, you know, it-, it goes back to that, you know, that conversation about around the rankings when, you know, Barty was off because of the, the, you know, pandemic and sort of waiting it out in Australia. But I've been very, very impressed kind of her coming back from that. Yes, she had a little bit of an injury, uh, you know, after the French Open that maybe had a bit of a doubt around her. But to see her come back full throttle at Wimbledon has been, again, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to see her kind of progress through taking, you know, dismantling her opponents. But I'm sure, you know, there are going to be sterner tests to come. And she is the, you know, the current world number one. And again, she will feel like this is an opportunity to add another Grand Slam uh, to to her cabinet. Yeah. And well, 
the woman she's got to beat tomorrow is Kerber, who, of course, was a former world number one. And um, actually, they haven't played ever on grass before. I don't think they've played each other for a few years. So that'd be quite interesting to see how this one goes. That is going to be Kerber, fascinating. I know. I'm, I'm, I had picked Kerber for the semis, actually, which is, I think, the only prediction I've got right this whole fortnight. Yes, yeah, so you've been telling me this about like six times over the last <laughs> week. <laughs> I was so delighted. I was, yeah, really cheering <laughs> Kerber on this, uh, this week. And I mean, I like Mukova and Mukova's done great. She's, you know, only played, I think, the main draw of Wimbledon twice and she's reached the quarterfinals both times. And I think she's, um, only like the third woman in Wimbledon history to do that. So she does love a grass court, does Mukova. But, um, you know, Kerber was able to come through, uh, in straight sets, six, two, six, three. And, um, which surprised me. I thought this might have had the capacity to go, you know, three sets. But I think, you know, Kerber was very efficient when it came to converting the chances that she did have, you know, four of six break points. Um, and when it, when push came to shove, Kerber just stepped it up a gear. And I think the look of a forehand was, was quite off, um, in this match and she just wasn't at the races. No, it was not good. There were a lot of, you know, unforced errors, particularly from the check. I think there were, 27 in total which was six more than Kerber's but yeah it was interesting to hear from Mukova afterwards she you know she obviously went in with a game plan but she was not able to execute it and actually she was very much kind of rushing um you know a lot of points and that's what I think led to a lot of these kind of unforced errors and she wasn't really you know playing in the moment she was almost kind of visualizing I think kind of maybe one two steps ahead of her Rather than thinking about the, you know, the next shot. And again, I think with someone like Angelique Kerber opposite you, you know, such a, you know, a defensive minded sort of counterpunched style of player. I think you, you really need to, when you face someone, you know, of, of Kerber's uh, you know, ability, you really do need to think one point at a time because she can create such unique angles, I think, on, on the court and, and move move your you know she moves her opponents about the court very very well and you know it's it's another very fascinating storyline here because Kerber you know she won Wimbledon in in 2018 she beat Serena Williams we all remember that but since then she's really done you know not a lot and she wasn't able to obviously you know grass is is arguably you know her best surface and she wasn't able to play on it in in 2019 because of the pandemic and the fact that she, you know, has come into this, you know, one, winning one of the, uh, you know, grass court lead up events, getting to the, the semifinals, it really has made me think whether she's been one of the most unfortunate players in terms of not having that grass court season last, you know, in, in 2019, because it does seem to elevate her game. Yeah, in 2020, Joel, you were, you were saying 2019. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> are you getting confused because it's Euro 2020, <laughs> even though we're in 2021? Yes, um, the years have got all messed up. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what what has caused this kind of renaissance from Kerber. Um, I don't know if she's changed her setup or something's kind of going on in her personal life or, you know, it, but it's, it obviously is really nice to see her finally back up at this level of a slam and, you know, just getting that title, I think, you know, at home in Germany, just the confidence of match wins. And she'll also be hoping if she does get past Barty, she'll be hoping Pliskova's in the final because apparently Kerber's never lost to a Czech player at a Grand Slam tournament. So I think that's what she'll be hoping for if she does make the final. Um, but I mean, let's just kind of make some predictions, shall we, Joel? Because obviously we've got Pliskova against Sabalenka, Barty against Kerber. 
I mean, who do you think we're going to be seeing in the, the women's final come Saturday? Well, I mean, we talk about Barty versus Kerber. This, for me, is the... I think, for me, this is the marquee. This is the marquee semi-final. Both players are just... You know, they're already, I think, you know, very much kind of fan favourites with the crowds, uh, you know, for different reasons, I think. And, you know, for Kerber, I think, you know... <laughs> she's obviously been at this stage before and you talk about, you know, her confidence. And I think that is one of the things that has kind of led her to this point. You know, she's had, you know, iffy moments along, you know, along the way, you know, she had that very tense match, that very long match against Cerebes Tormo. Um, you know, she was a set down to Sasnovich as well. And I think, you know, on another, you know, on another day, uh, you know, a year or two ago, I think Kerber would have just sort of wilted and, and, and gone out rather meekly, but as you said, I think the confidence that she's playing with at the moment has really kind of helped her. And I think she will she will need all of that, I think, when she comes up against Barty. And I think this could really much play out like uh, that Cerebes Torbo match. I I don't see this being I feel I feel like this could be very much a, a battle of a lot of extended rallies. It could feel like a match that you look at the time the time it takes to to face it could feel like it's on a clay court um because not both players are not you know aren't necessarily known for hitting you know aggression and, and all out winners so yeah it, it's going to be a very interesting tactical battle i think it might it might show us i think how you know who's got the better i think tennis mind and and being able to kind of adapt on the court i mean if you're going to ask me kim who i'm i'm sort of going for i'm still going to go with barty i just think She's been playing some very, very good tennis and has just come through with minimal fuss. And I think maybe she'll come through against Kerber, but I certainly think it's going to go um, into three sets. I wonder if Kerber, having played so much more tennis as well mm. in the last two weeks, you know, with that title and having the longer matches here as well, especially that Cerebes Tormo match, I wonder if that might come into it, like a bit of fatigue. Um, yeah, I, I do think three sets... Um, I have a feeling about Kerber though, so I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go with Kerber. Um, Ooh, okay, I'm, okay. I'm, you want yeah, the Cinderella really story to happen, don't you? Tight, um, in a really tight three setter. Um, the other semi final, Pliska for Sabalenka. I feel like Sabalenka is. I think her game might suffer um, as a result of pressure. I feel like she she might. Um, the occasion may get to her slightly. And I just have a feeling also about Pliskova. I think she's just gone like so under the radar this tournament and she's just kind of getting the job done. And if she plays like she did um, against Golibich and serves like that, I, I'm going to give the edge to Pliskova actually for this one. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Pliskova is serving incredibly well. I think she's won 42 of 45 service games throughout the championship so far. Um, so I think, well, I think for both of them, the serve is going to be, is going to be the, you know, the key, the key thing. And, and hopefully, hopefully both players can, can bring that in their, you know, in their game. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, yeah, it's, I think Pliskova, you know, she's obviously been to US Open final, Sabalenka, new ground. It, it does sort of favor Pliskova. But uh, at the same time, I'm not. I'm not sure. I just feel like for some reason this is, you know, Sabalenka's moment. She's a second seed. She's really enjoying. I think we've seen it. We've, she's really enjoying. I think you know being on the the court at the moment. Um, and I just wonder whether she's just gonna. Yeah, I think just kind of take this moment. So I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go Sabalenka in 
in two tight sets. I think it could be like a 7-5, 7-6 job. I think there's going to be a lot of holding of serve and maybe you know sets are only going to be decided potentially by one break of serve or a tie break. I think it's going to be one of those sorts of one of those sorts of matches. I love how we've gone completely different in our predictions. <laughs> so you've gone Barty Sabalenka top two seeds and I'm going for slightly old school Pliskova against Kerber. Um but either way I think you know whatever combination of finalists we get it'll be a fascinating affair. Um actually Joel just before we kind of round up you mentioned Emma Raducanu um and uh, you know that Tom Lanovic match um and we didn't cover this uh on our last pod because we recorded literally straight after that match but she did come out the next day didn't she Raducanu to give a statement about her withdrawal and I mean there there was a bit of a you know debate going around on social media I think there was a bit of an argument Piers Morgan was getting involved which you know is always a bit of a bad sign yeah Andy Murray's also been getting involved mm. uh retorting or responding anyway to uh Piers Morgan today so it yeah it's definitely been a, a conversation that has has opened up. Um, we, we do know, uh, now that, that Raducanu, you know, thinks, you know, she, um, had bre- difficulty breathing. Um, you know, she came out with a, sa- a statement yesterday just saying, hi guys, I wanted to let everyone know that I'm feeling much better this morning. First up, I want to cr- congratulate, uh, Aya on an incredible performance. And I'm sorry our match ended the way it did. I was playing the best tennis of my life in front of an amazing crowd this week. And I think the whole experience just caught up with me. Um, and it was really, I mean, it was disappointing, to be honest, to hear kind of some of the, you know, the responses, I think, particularly from, you know, some voices in British media, you know, a lot of people talking about kind of what John Macken, John McEnroe was kind of saying, you know, he was kind of quoted as saying it appeared to kind of get a little bit too much for her. And, you know, almost in, in the sense sort of you know, overwhelm her. And it, it was sort of delivered in the tone of, you know, that's not good enough. She needs to be more hardened, but uh, I, I've got to be honest. Like she's like eight, what? She's like eighteen years old. Um, you know, it's this is a big sort of learning curve for her to get to the second week. Given that she was completely unknown to a lot of people, to most people, in fact, you know, before we've just got to you know take it as it comes. And you know, I think it was completely understandable that. I guess the situation and I guess the pressure of the situation kind of, you know, overwhelmed her. It was unfortunate. I think that it happened on the tennis court in front of the TV cameras and, you know, the crowd and, you know, it was in such a dramatic way as well. But um, yeah, I was a bit disappointed with how the, the reaction sort of unfolded in terms of this. She needs to be better if she wants to be a champion because she's got, <laughs> she's got a whole tennis career ahead of her. Yeah, like you said, she is an 18-year-old girl and, you know, just because she plays a, a sport professionally, that doesn't mean she's any different to, you know, I mean, most 18-year-old girls, you know, going about their, their lives, you know, are going to have quite a lot of, I don't know, anxiety and nerves about doing things, you know, because you're doing a lot of things for like the first time and everything's new and you are at a, a sort of more vulnerable age. And I think people like McEnroe just, you know, just because they might have been, you know, confident and brash at age 18 they just kind of assume that you know everyone else should be and it was you know it's all de- de- different isn't it depending on your personality or your upbringing and your experiences so yeah I mean I think obviously the occasion probably did get to her but 
there's nothing no shame or you know harm in that in the sense that you know she's done so remarkably well to get there you know she could have gone out in the first round and she's exceeded you know everyone's expectations so I'm glad that she's sort of learning from it and you know I think it was quite a positive um statement that she put out and you know I think she's gonna obviously take this experience with her and yeah we all look forward to to next year hopefully when she's obviously back at Wimbledon and and also before then to see what she does now that I assume she's going to be kind of playing tour events um or you know more tour events than she previously had because she'd only played one so yeah I mean it was just um a bad end I suppose but you know overall an absolutely fantastic tournament for her yeah it was really again it was just really impressive and it's I think breathed new life into into British tennis and you know, I don't think it's necessarily a you know, passing of the torch in terms of that. And, you know, Andy Murray kind of going out to Shapovalov and Emma Raducanu kind of breaking onto the scene, getting to the, you know, the fourth round from out of nowhere. But certainly there are, I think, kind of, there's an interesting, I think, narrative there in terms of where potentially, you know, the future of British tennis might be heading. Yes, you know, it's, you know Jack Draper's had a fantastic uh, you know, week as well. Still, the only player to take a set off uh, Novak Djokovic. So, I think the f- future is certainly bright for uh, for British tennis. So, uh, yeah, listeners, I hope you have have enjoyed listening to our quarterfinals round by round catch up. And we will be back for our semi-finals catch up on Friday. Remember to subscribe to the Passing Shot to stay up to date on all things at Wimbledon. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, and you can listen to us also on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you have enjoyed listening to the show and you want to help the show out on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Um, you can contact us on all those social channels as well to let us know your thoughts and feedback and any questions you may have. Uh, but if you prefer, you can reach us via email as well. Passing Shot Pod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Friday for our semi-finals round by round catch up, taking in all the events from the men's semi-finals and the ladies' semi-finals. So I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon.